You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Good morning, it is great to have you here with us. Uh, We start a new series this morning which is going to need a heck of a lot of prayer. Trending. Uh, What does Jesus have to say on the big issues? Uh, The big issues like the Bible, the big issues like love, lust, sexuality, the big issues like... Greed, money, materialism, the big issues like narrow-minded Christians. I think we need to pray. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, we are going to need your help this morning as we head into this series and into this message and into your word, Lord. We pray that there is an openness of each of our hearts, uh, that there is a gravity uh, to your word and your teaching in our lives this morning that allows us to move out into the world in a way that we wouldn't have if we hadn't have been hearing from you. So Holy Spirit, move amongst us, prepare us, convict our hearts. May you be the one that does the work this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever noticed these days when you read the news, it's really difficult to work out what is good news and what is bad news or good news or average news. Uh, most of the way now that you work out what is good news is not really good news. It's probably average news that's become good news. Here's what I mean. The way that you know what is good news these days is it's trending. Are you one of those people, you know how you read Sydney Morning Herald and you just scroll to the bottom and you look at the top five stories read of the day? And so that's how we tend to read our news, not as to whether it's objectively good news or not. It's just the most popular and so, of course... Top three could be about the cricket or Kim Kardashian or something enthralling like that. Um, we, we're living in a world where everything's trending, uh, where in social media it's about what is the most popular. Uh, it, it's it's what, it, what seems to be at the forefront of people's minds. And so uh, one of the challenges we have is that there is a range of different opinions about anything and everything these days. And things seem to swing up and down all the time. We just look at the stock market in the last week alone. Wipes a trillion dollars off here and then you gain another trillion. I don't know which way to read the stock market when I read the front page of the newspaper. You see, uh, we, we see when things are trending, there's no basis, there's no stability in our lives. And one of the trends that we're starting to see emerge in our culture at the moment is not just the news stories, but it's people's view of the Bible. What's starting to trend is oh, if, 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 it's, if it's the social trend, if the top five story on SMH about the Bible is that it's uh, socially awkward and culturally regressive and that there are inconsistencies supposedly in the Bible, then how can we trust any of its truth and how can we even believe that it's a supernatural document? And so today we look at this key question again. For both the Christian and the non-Christian. So it means too, we finished the last series saying that if you are a skeptic and you're skeptical about the Bible, um, then, then this is a great message for you. If you're a Christian, it's a great message for you as well because you have to ask yourself, why do you need the Bible? It's a, it's a bestseller. It's been out there. It still sells really well. But why do you need it? And what we'll see from this passage is this. You'll need, you need the Bible because you need a reference point in your life. You need the Bible because it is the resource for dealing with life. And you need the Bible because it is the way to regenerate your life. You need it because it's a reference point, because it's a resource, and because it regenerates, it changes you. 
And what is fascinating too when we read this is Jesus' view of the Bible is appalling. And what I mean by that is it's shocking. It will, it will shock you if you're, non, if you're a non-Christian, it'll probably shock you culturally. If you're a Christian, it's probably going to shock you personally. And that is the challenge for each and every one of us this morning. You want to see how Jesus shocks us with the Bible, his view of the Bible? First and foremost, the, the first thing that Jesus says to us from this passage is that the Bible is the ultimate reference point for your life. He says in verse 18, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. What Jesus is saying that is, is not the least stroke, not the, not the, the, the littlest jot, the King James uh, Version says jot or, or yod. A, a, a yod was, was a, a little comma type mark in the Hebrew language. He's saying not even the, the slightest little comma or just the slightest little serif off a, you know what a serif is on the bottom of a, the letter G. If you knock the serif off a G, it can turn it into a Q and totally muck up the language. Jesus is saying the level of detail by which he believes the truth of the scriptures is down to that small. And what is really fascinating is that when he says, uh, before that, I've come not to abolish the law or the prophets, all commentators agree that Jesus is saying here that he's saying, I've not come to abolish, when he says I've not come to abolish the law, he's not just talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about all of scripture or the Old Testament as we would know it. Jesus says, I've not come to get rid of that, which is funny, isn't it? Because, look, particularly we Christians, we can come up against bits of the Bible and we can say, well, that doesn't make too much sense, so I'm going to scrap that. And Jesus says, don't scrap that. Jesus says, I've come to fulfill every, every piece of this. So you started to see how incredibly surprising Jesus' view of the Scriptures is. He's saying all of this is the divinely inspired truth from God. Now, here's where the objections are already arising in your mind. Because you might be one of those sorts of people, Christian, non-Christian, that's saying, well, what about the crazy parts of the Bible? What about the crazy bits of the Bible? What about all the, what about that Old Testament? It's all about multiple marriages and murder. Multiple wives and murder. That's what we see in the Old Testament. How are we supposed to live by that? Now, I can't address every single issue in this today. I just want to get us thinking. <laughs> I'm not trying to get out of it. In fact, uh, at the end of the service, if uh, I'm going to hang around for a little bit. So throughout this series, we're going to have a bit of a question and answer type session. So if you want to, if you want to tease this out a little bit more for 15 minutes, I'm going to hang around after the service here in the auditorium. But here's the point. Jesus says the Bible is the ultimate reference point for your life. Don't think I've come to get rid of that. And yet we see these parts of the Bible. We, we're finding this trend is we're more and more concerned, not so much with the historical aspects with the Bible, but the cultural aspects of the Bible. That the cultural trends, we're asking questions like, what does the Bible say about marriage? And what does the Bible say about sexuality? And what does the Bible say about faithfulness? And what does the Bible say about relationships? And so the logic goes like this, both for Christians and non-Christians alike. The logic goes like this. There are bits of the Bible that I see look regressive and outdated and downright offensive. And so therefore, I can't trust all of it. And she's saying, well, what about the crazy bits? What about in Genesis, where it's all about multiple wives and murder? See, that's my example. People often cite that, right? They go, look, you can't trust the Bible. They all had multiple wives. Now, here's my question to you. Could it be possible 
that the Bible's not teaching what you think it's teaching. And here's what I mean by that. When you look at the book of Genesis, look at the heroes, Abraham, Isaac, these spiritual heroes. People go, look at them. Look at how they treat women. They've got multiple wives. They're practicing polygamy. Now, Robert Alter, he was a, a Jewish scholar and he wrote The Art of Biblical Narrative. He says this. He was saying that there, are, there were always two primary institutions in ancient culture. One was polygamy and one was primogeniture, which was when the eldest always got all the inheritance. And so you see that both in the Bible, but also in the culture of the day. And he says, when you read through the Ark of Genesis, he says, in every generation, polygamy wreaks havoc in the Bible. As you go down through the generations and generations, polygamy wreaked havoc. Here's the other thing. When you see uh, the stories of the Bible, in every generation, this primogeniture, God favors not the older, but the younger. It's always Abel and not Cain. It's always Isaac and not Ishmael. It's always Jacob and not Esau. And so Alter was saying, if you actually look at Genesis for what it's doing, it's subverting, not supporting the culture and the things that offend us in the Bible. It's overturning these practices at every spot. And so here's a question. How do you read Genesis? And could it be that the Bible is not really teaching what you think it's teaching? That's the first question. The first question there. Here's the second thing when people are saying, what about the crazy parts of the Bible? I think it's far more relevant to us today. Could it be that you're being offended by unexamined, assumed cultural superiority? Could you be offended by unexamined, assumed cultural superiority? I'll give you an example, but you look at the way that the Bible talks about sex. If you get the average Sydney side and you look at the way that the Bible talks about sex, and we'll look at that next week, they would go, oh, the Bible's a bunch of prudes. This is socially regressive. But when it comes to forgiveness, oh, the Beatitudes, love your enemies. Oh, that's beautiful. That's great. Now, here's the thing. Transpose those two same bits of scripture or those two biblical concepts into the Middle East and see what happens. When the people of the Middle East look at the way that the Bible treats, treats sex, they probably go, yeah, that's good, but that's not strict enough. And when you translate forgiveness across into the Middle East, a culture that is built on family and shame... If, if you shame someone in your family to turn the other cheek, come on, no way. They need to be punished. So can you see that, that it's possible that you can be reading a cultural, your own cultural bias and blinkers on into the Bible? And if the Bible is the divinely inspired word of God, which is what Jesus is saying, if it is that and there are multiple cultures of multiple nations all around the world, could it be possible that the Bible will contradict every culture in the world at some point in time? Are you with me? I know this is nosebleed stuff, but you've got to say with me. If parts of the Bible offend you, then why should your cultural sensibilities and assumptions be, be trump everyone else's? See what I mean by unexamined cultural assumptions? And so let's pause for a second too. Let's really get down to the gritty of when people have their objections to the authority of the scriptures over their life. What, what is the real issue? It's the authority of the scriptures. That there is an ultimate reference point in people's lives. What Jesus is saying, this is the divinely inspired ultimate reference point. He says, for I tell you, this is not going to disappear until heaven and earth disappear. This is going to stay. What he's talking about is the authority of the Bible. 
And what it means for us practically is there is a difference between just understanding and standing under the Bible. I'll say it again. There is a big difference between just understanding and standing under the Bible. And in a a society in which we are our own, that cuts across the grain of how we operate culturally, right? You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. We're, we're, We're like how kids can be when they're playing in the playground. You're not the boss of me. It's a head-on collision with our culture. You know, John, I remember hearing John Stanley on 2UE. Yes, I'm one of those young adults. I listen to AM radio. Um, and he's saying, oh, I wish churches will stop taking bits of the Bible and bashing others around the head with it. They should just get, it, get on with the times. Now, okay, there can be Christians that Bible bash, and we'll talk about that at the end of the message. But you see, get, we've got to get with the times. See, see what Stanley's saying? He's saying, I wish the Bible wouldn't cut across my opinions. Now, here's the question for you this morning, if you're a John Stanley type. What are you basing your opinion on? Like Q&A, Sydney Morning Herald, a blog, a Facebook comment? What, look, are you one of those people that view the Bible like this? Oh, look, there's a lot of good stuff in it, but you can't believe everything in it. You know, 50 years ago, you know, we believed this, but we're modern people now. And so we've, we've got to, we can't expect that old stuff anymore. Now we've got a right to believe whatever you want to believe. Now, can you see what you've done? You're seeking to understand the word, but you're not standing under the word. And the question is, what will you stand under? Because if the Bible is not the ultimate reference point in your life, what will be the ultimate reference point in your life? Science? Science, science can only tell, tell us what we know, not what ought to be. Culture, a hundred years ago, we all know there are things, two hundred years ago, that were done in culture that are despicable by today's standards. Society, society, how do you even get right or wrong in this age of political correctness? (laughs) Your own heart, there are things that I did three years ago that I cringe at now. When I was a teenager, I used to have shoes or army boots done up with safety pins. I mean, come on. (laughs) How do you know that the things of your heart are going to be the things by which you should be living five years down the track? I can't even trust myself half an hour ago. Who is making up in your mind what is true, what is inspired, what is unchanging and what isn't? Is it your mind? Is it your perceptions? Is it your emotions? Is it your own heart? What is it? You see, whenever you step out from underneath the Bible, if, if, if you're that person, what you're really saying is, I don't... I don't trust God's authority in this area. I trust myself. And when you do that, what you, what you, don't, re- you don't really have a God. You have an idol. You have something that is taking the place of God. Because who's the real God? You are. If you're the one who comes down in ultimate judgment of the Bible about whether it's this or this or this or this, who's the ultimate judge? It's not him. You are. You're God. And the whole, the whole modern-day tagline, if we had to rewrite the Bible, the whole pricey, the executive summary of the Bible is, there is a God and you're not it. <laughs> and might I say too, being your own God is a very scary place to be. Look at the complexities of the world. Look at the complexities of your own heart. I don't want to be my own God. I don't know about you. It's a, it's a scary place 
to be. What are you, what are you standing under? It's the ultimate reference point of the universe. Uh, look, it's, it's, it's complicated and it's nuanced as well, by the way. You know, this is, this is, not, the, this is not the Golden Book's pokey little puppy. Uh, this, this, is, this is the most nuanced operating manual for the human life. If, if you're out in the bush and you, you got bitten by a snake and you, you opened up the, the Bear Grylls survival guide to the Australian bush and you saw that once you're bitten by a snake that you need to immobilise your arm and tie it to yourself and restrict it and you, said, you just took one glance at that and, and said, oh, that's restrictive, I don't like that, forget it, I'm running home. <laughs> you wouldn't do that. You'd say that's ridiculous. This is a gazillion times more nuanced and more designed for how you're meant to operate as a human being than the Bear Grill Survival Guide. And yet, look, even us as Christians, if we dare to be honest with ourselves, take that approach to the Scriptures. Jesus says, not the least stroke, not the least little bit of comma, not the least little bit of serif will disappear with this. I believe all of this to be true. And so he asks you this morning, do you just simply hold my radically beautiful an incredibly high view of the scriptures as my followers. He says, if you're a non-Christian, well, what's your ultimate reference point? Are you going to let me be your ultimate reference point or the Bear Grylls survival guide? Um, is that making sense? Okay, it's nosebleed theology. Um, but I think we need this, don't, don't you? We, 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 we need this if we're going to be Christians who at the least... I want to be able to find some firm footing in a society that always seems to be trending. If we don't have a reference point, then we're going to be bashed around like pinballs in the great pinball machine that's called life. Um, so it's the ultimate reference point for your life. Here's the other thing. It's the resource for getting you through this life. It's not only the ultimate reference. Why do you need the Bible? Because it's the ultimate reference point. Why do you need the Bible? Because it's the resource for getting you through this life. Verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, Jesus didn't just believe in the intellectual authority of the scriptures. He didn't just believe the scriptures. He just didn't believe what was his Bible, the Old Testament. He lived it. He lived it. Uh, Look, what, what made Jesus great? Now listen, because it's not what you think. What made Jesus great? When Jesus Christ came to earth and he had to live a perfect life in the face of persecution and loneliness and rejection and hardship and poverty and he never wavered in the face of those circumstances. What made him stay the way that he did? What made him so strong in what he did? How did he stay true to these things? I'll, I'll tell you how he did it. Gergraptai. Gergraptai. Of course, it's Gergraptai. Um, it's, it's the Greek word for what he was always saying. It is written. 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 Every time Jesus came up against a challenge or a temptation or the, or the sense of loneliness or personal attack, it is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. Matthew 4, he goes out to the desert with Satan. It is written. Gergraptai, Gergraptai, Gergraptai. When he's facing his enemies, the Pharisees, Gergraptai, it's written. Matthew 26, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter pulls out the sword. He chops the soldier's ear off. Jesus says, I could call down an army full of angels on these guys to, to, to smite them. But the scriptures, the Bible, would not be fulfilled as it is written. Gergraptai. What's happening here? He's demonstrating the depth of a resource that he had. 
And this is it. Everything was done in his life through the power of Scripture. Everything he did looked through the lens of the Bible. Every movement, every action, every thought. Now, I'm sorry to use this illustration, but it, it, it proves the point, but it's kind of vivid and it's kind of graphic. But imagine that you went home and you're in a, a terrible car wreck and you wake up and, and you look around you and all your, all your family is dead. Now, what do you do? I, I tell you what you do. In those moments, you don't look around and say, you know, I, I, wonder, I wonder how I should think about this or how I should act. You don't. You just, you just scream. What, whatever, whatever comes out of you at that moment is instinctively you. It's wholly you. It's every part, it's rawly you that comes out of you in that moment. It's in those moments of extremity that there's nothing left but the deepest level of who you are. Now, here's the point when Jesus Christ was on the cross. And as scary and as horrible as it is, the fact that Jesus was on the cross was a worse situation than waking up and finding that all of your family was dead. He was going into hell. He was descending into hell and on the cross he screamed. But what did he scream? He screamed the Bible. He screamed scripture. He screamed Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He he sighed Psalm 31 verse 5. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. You see it all the time. In his deepest, most agonizing extremities of moment, he bled Scripture. Gagraptai, it is written, it is written. C.S. Lewis says he was so soaked in Scripture that his language became bibline. How did he move through these things of life? It is written. This was his ultimate resource. Here's the point. What made Jesus great? The Bible. In his humanity, he knew nothing more of God than you and I do. We have to understand that. He didn't have some matrix-style pipeline to the Father. He knew nothing more of the revelation of God in his humanity than you and I do through the Word of God. And yet he cuts through the persecution and the attack and the loneliness like a hot knife through butter. A couple of questions for you. Do you live life with that sort of resource? With that deep resource? Like are you so soaked in scripture that in those extreme moments of your life it just flows out of you? And here's the other one. If the Bible isn't your ultimate reference point and if it's not your key resource for life, then what's your alternative? Who stole my cheese? Whether whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, here's why you need the Bible. If there's no reference point, if there's no gravity in the tough times, you'll get bounced around in the pinball machine. But also if there's no resource to live by, reference point, you'll have no resource that is deeper and more powerful than the circumstances you face in life. And here's the other deeper one for us Christians. And this is why Jesus shocks us. You know, if you're a Christian that says, I follow you, Jesus, I'm a believer, I understand all that, but I'm not sure if I'm fully into your view of how, how broad your scope of the truth of the Bible is. I follow you, Jesus, but I want to pick this bit and I want to pick that bit. Not only does that sound strange and not only that is that contradictory, and not only are you just re- rejecting part of Jesus' beliefs in terms of what he thought about the Bible, but you're actually rejecting his entire dynamic for life. Jesus says, if, if I thought Scripture was this perfect, and if I thought Scripture was this powerful, why would I think that it's any different for the way that you, my followers, would use it in your life?
Is it pressing against us? It's always a remedial massage when you come to the red letters of Scripture. <laughs> what does Jesus have to say on the issues of today? Um, that's what he says. This was absolutely central to the way I lived my life. Is it absolutely central to yours? That's why you need the Bible, for the resource. Here's the last one. It's not just a reference point in your life that can lead to a resource in your life that allows you to move through the challenges of your circumstance. It's also the way that you regenerate your life. That the whole We'll see here from the scriptures is the whole point that Jesus says of the Bible is to come down and not to... Not to bash people around the head with it or John Stanley when you call him up on the radio. The whole point of the Bible is to regenerate, to change you. And here's how it happens because it's a knife edge. It can go one of two ways. There's either one of two ways that you can read the Bible. One is for information and one is for transformation. That's what Jesus was getting at when he was talking about moving beyond the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. You see, Jesus is saying it's possible to know your Bible back to front and it not change you. Look, there would be many a Harvard or a Yale professor out there that knows their Bible 50 times better than you or I in this room this morning. And they're not Christians. <laughs> because you can read the Bible for information and not transformation. Jesus uh, says it in a fascinating way in John 5.39, which parallels a lot of the Sermon on the Mount here. But he says to the Pharisees, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me and yet you refuse to come to me to have the life. You see, he's not criticizing their view of scripture. They had the right idea of scripture, that it was the inspired, divine, truthful word of God, the ultimate reference point. The problem was he was criticizing their use of scripture. And so what it means is there's a way for you to actually read the Bible and totally miss the whole point. If you've got, you could have the right view of the Bible technically, but if you don't have the right use of the Bible, then you really don't have the Bible itself. What's the point of the Bible? Verse 17 again, I've come not to abolish the law, but I've, I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus is saying the whole point of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament is about me. The whole thing points to me. Jesus is saying you're not going to have a good grasp on me unless you understand the Old Testament. And on the other hand, you'll never understand the Old Testament unless you absolutely see that everything is absolutely about me and not about you. And here's the point of the Old Testament. Every story, every regulation, absolutely everything, every ceremony, every sacrifice, every priest, it's about him, the point of the ceremonies, the point of the bread, the point of the sacrifices, the point of the priests, the point of all of that was to show us Jesus, to show us the, the prophet that, who was going to be the ultimate prophet, the king who would become the ultimate king, the sacrifice who would become the ultimate sacrifice. There's ways that you read the Bible, two different ways that you read the Bible. There's a Bible when you can read it about you, and then there's the way you can read the Bible when it's about him. Jesus is, look, here's how you read it about him. Jesus is the ultimate Moses, who didn't come to lead his people through an exodus just out of Egypt, but out of this world. He's the ultimate he's, he's the ultimate uh, Joshua that leads his people into the promised land. Not of Canaan and a physical promised land, but the promised land of heaven. He's the ultimate Joseph who was betrayed by his brothers and sent into a hellhole and eventually is raised up to a position of power by God and when he has the opportunity to smite them, he forgives them. He's the ultimate Esther, to use a female example, 
who had the ultimate place in the, of power in the palace and foregoes that not just at the risk of his life but at the cost of his life in order to save his people. He's the ultimate David who comes up against the ultimate Goliath of life, not some big funny guy out in the countryside with a sling, but the big things in life, sin and death, and he's victorious over them. Can't you see, like if you go to the Bible and you read it about you, you look at Moses and you say, yeah, I've got to get rid of my st- st- stutter and all, the, all the my failings and I've just got to man up and woman up and trust God and, and be big and God will do great things through me. And then you realize that you can't get rid of those ailments and we are frail and broken and we can't fulfill that. Or, or you're an Esther type and you do have a position on a boardroom table or of wealth or of riches and as much as you know that the Bible says you should be using that in order to bless the people around you, you can't let it go. You never can fully let it go. When you read the stories of David, that you are terrified about things that are happening in your life at the moment and there are real Goliaths in your life at the moment and when you read the Bible about you, you read it in that way and suddenly you realise that you're still scared at the end of the day. <laughs> Because you don't read it beyond and you don't see the way that the stories are pointing beyond to him. Jesus says, all of these things I have come to fulfill. Now, Christian, can you see the significance of the Old Testament? It's like trying to watch Return of the Jedi without watching Star Wars Episode 4. Come on. Uh, you need to understand all of this to, to understand it's about him. But here's, here's, here's the real part about it. When you start to read it for him and you're not reading and it's all about you, you see, when you read and it's all about you, you start reading the scriptures and the way it talks and you say, I fulfilled this and I've done that and I live according to this and I do that and Father, I've done all this, now you must bless me. And all you're doing is you're not getting better. The only thing that's getting better is your conscience. But you're not getting better. You, all that's happening there is you're becoming more religious. It's exactly what Jesus was saying in verse 24. I tell you, unless your righteousness, your religiosity surpasses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were the best religious people, by the way, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And what he was saying is, he's saying, I didn't come to give you good advice. I came to save you. Every other religion says it's your job to read their book and to go and hope that you live a divine enough life in order to be with God. This book says, no, God came down and he lived the perfect life for you and he reconciled God for you. So now you read this book not out of obligation. Uh, you, You now obey this book not out of a sense of fear or guilt, but out of gratitude and love for what it is that he's done. And when that happens, that changes you. That melts you. You don't read it for its regulation. Jesus' view of the Bible is that this thing can change you, and it does. There's enough Christians around the place here this morning to show that that's what happens. Look, here's how you tell whether you're reading the Bible for information or transformation. And it's this question you need to ask yourself. Do you search the Scriptures or do you let the Scriptures search you? When you come to this book, do you, do you go searching through them for all the things that you think that you might do or do you let the Scriptures search you? Do you let it push up against you? Do you let it offend you? Do you let it cut across you? See, because unless, unless it does it, you don't have a relationship. None of us have relationship where we said, I'm going to be your friend or I'm going to be your spouse, but please don't ever contradict me. That's not a relationship. That's a Stepford wife or a Stepford husband. 
If you don't allow God to push against you, it's a step for God. And here's the more significant one that I want you to grasp this morning. That if you don't let God cut across you and offend you at time to time in his scripture, all-encompassing truth, if you don't let it offend you from time to time, then how can it heal you? Because if you don't let it cut across the bad things or what you perceive to be the, what it says are the bad things in your life, the things that are hurting you and harming you, then how can it ever cut across you when you feel like a failure? How can it ever cut across you and give you hope when you're in the midst of your hopelessness? If you don't let it cut across you in those times in which you need to be changed and regenerated by it. Jesus says this is the ultimate reference point. And so, for those of you who don't share Jesus' high view of the Bible this morning, what is your reference point? Look, could, could you give the Bible authority over areas in your life that you don't want to hear? Because, look, if, if you don't do that, how will this book ever heal you? You say, look, I don't like what the Bible says about this or about that, but, yeah, but what happens when your heart's broken and you feel like a failure? If it has no authority over you and the bad things, how will it heal you with the good things? And for those of us who believe we've got Jesus' view of the Bible, can we see why we need it? Can we see why we need it, Christians? Can we see why... Uh, we needed to push against it. Are we reading it simply for information or are you reading it for transformation? Let's pray.